you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook. Oh my gosh, we barely made it on Facebook today. Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube today. <clears throat> then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And sometimes on BitChute if it's a short class. Uh, look for The Road to Concord on those streams. You can also go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the roadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually... Yeah, I got an important email I got to answer later today. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Warn them. Joe is an acquired taste. Wasabi hey, coffee. we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Yeah, he ain't now, today. just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. All right, well, first of all, we got a little housekeeping we got to do. Come in here this morning, fired up the old studio, and the first thing I got was a note from StreamYard says, Facebook's all messed up, and we've told them about it. So Zuckbuck won't let me schedule a show on Facebook. Just as we were starting the show, I tried one last time, and it is streaming on Facebook. At least I saw it on there. But you weren't able to do this scheduled show. Yeah, I'm showing it. Okay, so apparently we are on Facebook now, but I had to go live right away, and I couldn't schedule it. So somewhere along the line, StreamYard and Zuckerberg have to fix and figure things out here. I don't, I, I don't know, it, but this isn't us. This is this wasn't on us. StreamYard, let me know right away this morning. You know our studio saying, "Hey, Facebook is being Facebook again." A Zuckbuck programmer yeah, Zuckbuck messed up the API. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're assuming that was a mistake. <laughs> well, maybe StreamYard isn't giving into the coercion and paying enough. I don't. I don't know. Maybe they saw the title of our show. Yes, it could have been. But anyhow, we seem to have everybody working out there in the in the in the internet world the way they're supposed to. Oh, actually, Aaron Spike says that uh, it's glitching on. Facebook, so he's going back. Well, to Rumble, I, I, so. I can't help. We're doing that. the best we can. I'm not in charge of Zuckbuck. So, you know, when you steal something from other people, it's just the way it is. But um, it's Worship Wednesday. And as I told you last week, we are going to cover the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha in a little bit more detail than we did last week. What we're doing here, this is, um, I got to go back and edit the description of the show later. I forgot to do it this morning, but this is going to be part two in a ongoing series on Bible basics. So this is going to be like Bible 101. We're not even doing 101, man. This is like Bible one. Okay. We did the canon last week. What is canon? You know, what books are in your Bible and why? And depending on what 
branch of the Christian tree you're in, you know, you're going to have different books in your Bible. So, eh. What's happened in recent times? People have started with this, they've hidden books from you. Where were the lost books? Why did they keep these secret? It's all apocrypha, all of it. And this is where the movies with the Da Vinci Code, a lot of this stuff comes from. Look, they tried to hide the truth from you. No, they didn't. No, they didn't try to hide the truth from you. They tried to hide lies from you. But because you don't bother to do any, and I don't mean y'all in this class, I'm talking in the generic, throwing the dart into the universe, you. The generic whatever. Because Zuck didn't bother doing his homework. He comes up, you know, Zuckberg or Da Vinci or whatever the heck. They, they come up with false understandings of what's going on. Maybe if you bothered to do a little homework, you wouldn't have these problems. Well, we did a little homework for you. Incidentally, that used to be the saying of my old business. We do your homework for you. And found out that it doesn't matter if I do the homework for people. They didn't care either. What is the apocrypha? Okay. First things first, before we even get going, today is going to be another one of those days where you might want to footnote your show notes. You go to the roadtoconcord.com, our blog page, and you will see that I have an extensive list for you today. So we're going to cover the Apocrypha right here, and we go down why exclude the Apocrypha. This is a YouTube video. Dr. Heiser's in there. He's one of the better ones I have found dealing with Apocrypha and the, and the canon and pseudepigrapha and things like that. Then down here, how to study the Apocrypha if you just have to study it. Then the Pseudepigrapha, what it is right here. Then the Deuterocanon. We take a special look at the Book of Enoch. There's another video by, by Dr. Heiser. This is why Enoch is not part of the canon. Then down here, the New Testament had writers had the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha in their heads. And it gives you a PDF there and all. That's a 92-page PDF. You might want to download that. Then the extra conical books. We'll go over those when we get to that before the end of the day. And then I, got, I gave you a book of interest. This is basically a bibliography of some of the books that I'm going to show you today. This is your show notes. And we will get to some of this as we go along today. We'll start right here. What is the Apocrypha? One of the first things I have for you is Bible Gateway. It's one of my go-tos when it comes to this. This is where I start with my studies. Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, and Blue Letter Bible. And this just tells you what the Apocrypha is and the Apocrypha in Judaism, the Apocrypha in Christianity, because they're different. The different, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. This is different stuff. Goes over the early church, the Reformation, post-Reformation, et cetera, et cetera. And this is for those of you here, are the different books of the Apocrypha. And this is a rather lengthy little post. So you can go through that if you'd like. It's there for you. It'll help out. Then I found this little gem. And we're going to go over this on our slideshow in just a minute. But I ha I found this before the show started today. I was only able to take a quick look at it. From what I saw so far, I like it. Um, so that's why it's in your, I, I added it to your show notes today. I like the little slides they made. And then when they do is they explain it all. And there's hyperlinks to additional information. And they go over the, the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha in rather decent detail. So we're going to start with some of what they've done for us. You'll see, notice that I've kind of borrowed their, well, I've, I've credited them. I've linked you to them. I want you to you know go read the full article from them, but I just borrowed a few of their slides. I'm not going to take everything from them. I don't want to be stealing other people's intellectual property here, but this is a uh, teaching format. We have a little bit of more leeway with most people with this. 
the apocrypha definition. What is apocrypha? Literally, things that are hidden. The Greek word is hidden, hidden things. I looked it up. That's true. Hidden because it's mysterious, esoteric, heretical, or simply hidden from common use? I don't know. Let's find out. It can have an honorable or a degradatory meaning depending on who's using the word and why. Our understanding, books which appear in the Latin Vulgate but not in the Hebrew Bible, they're highly esteemed, though they're not canon. Well, we're going to get into why in a minute. First things first. I, we've got to do another class here. Not, not. It'll be a while, but we're going to have to do a class on Gnosticism and the Nicolaitans. I think we've done it once before. We're going to have to do it again. Gnostics. G-N-O Gnostics. Um, they're the Christian version of Kabbalah essentially. I, I'm being very loose with my terms here right now. Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism. Gnosticism is Christian mysticism of a sort. Secret knowledge, hidden knowledge. They both deal with secret or hidden knowledge. And it's hidden in the sense that the average person's not smart enough to know how to deal with this. We're not enlightened. We're not chosen. So we can't figure this out. And only the chosen elect can, can understand and work with this material. That type of secret and hidden knowledge. Um, you got to be careful with it because it permeates Christianity really bad. It's in Judaism, but they've done a better job of separating it. It is still to this day, it's in your Christian thinking, a lot of it. The idea that the soul and the body are different, you know, separate entities, you know, so when the soul leaves the body, you get to go to heaven and that's where you really are supposed to be. And you're free and the body is bad and evil and wicked. and The soul is good. That's all Gnostic. That's Gnostic in thinking. The Hebrew mind, the body and soul are one. When the body dies, the soul goes back. The, the nephesh goes back to Yahweh, the Father. That's just the spark of divinity. And the well, that's the ruach goes back to the Father. The nephesh just disappears. You know, your free will and it just dies with you. But like I said, we'll have to have that conversation in another time. But Gnosticism, hidden knowledge, secret knowledge. You got to be careful with this, okay? Because this is not a class. I don't want to get you into going to look into this stuff unless you are very 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 well grounded in scripture and you're a good researcher you should leave the apocrypha alone in my opinion my opinion second witness i have seen people that have dug into the apocrypha that were not well grounded and it sent them <laughs> off they off went the path yes so yes stay away from this stuff unless you're you're really solid We'll show you why we say this in a few minutes. And you're going to find where some of these, especially in the Catholics, but I'm not picking on Catholicism per se, but you're going to understand where some of their non-biblical doctrine comes from and how they got it and why. But the Apocrypha is to be, you treat this very carefully. And it means hidden knowledge or secret knowledge. Now, one other quick thing. I haven't had a chance to totally verify this, but it seems to work in the show prep this morning where I didn't have a chance to totally track it down, but I did get a little of it done. The, the Bible talks about mysteries, especially in the New Testament. So it talks about mysteries. To a Greek, to a Greek mind, the Greek word mystery doesn't mean something to be solved or a riddle or something to figure out. It means something that the people in the know will understand and the people out of the know won't understand. 
it's not a riddle to figure out. It just means you either get it or you don't get it. The Bible is a mystery in that sense, and it tells you it is. Believers will get it. The non-believer won't. The Bible even says that. It'll be foolishness to the non-believer. So this is the idea. This is the Greek mindset of mysteries. So this is, the, this is what Paul's talking about when he talks about mysteries. Like the, the mystery of, of Yahweh, God has been revealed. You know, And what he's talking about there is the gospel, the true gospel. Okay, the full gospel, kingdom of Yahweh. It's in the Old Testament. But until your eyes are opened and it's explained to you, you don't see it. Then when you go back and you look at, oh, there it is. For a good example, the mystery of the two houses of Israel, the two houses of Jacob, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. A lot of believers say it's not there. Well, once I've explained to you what you're looking for and you go back and reread the scriptures, oh, wow, right there the whole time, it's there. Well, that's because the mystery has been revealed to you. Your eyes have been opened. The scales have fallen off your eyes. Now you understand it. That's the Greek mindset of mystery. Not scooby-dooby-doo. I got a mystery. Let's go solve it. Look for the clue. No, 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 no. Different concepts here. So we got to be careful we don't fall into equivocation. But Apocrypha deals with that type of mystery. Because unless you have the secret knowledge, you won't know. You won't understand why they're script. Well, they're not scripture. That's where we're going to go next. This back up here, the Apocrypha definition, we've already read that. The Apocrypha, dates, places, languages, and themes. The vital witness to the faith of the Jewish people living in the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D. So this, most of this was written in the intertestimonial periods. Most of what the Apocrypha is, the Jewish Apocrypha, the, the Orthodox uh, Jew, House of Judah's Apocrypha, Old Testament Apocrypha. The writings come from Palestine, Alexandria, which is Egypt, Antioch, which is Syria, and possibly from parts of Persia. Some are originally in Greek, others in Hebrew or Aramaic, some of the books. Major concerns addressed by many of the texts involve how Jews are to respond to the challenge of persevering in a minority culture in a Greek world. What challenges threaten the commitment and the faithful practice of contemporary people of God, of Yahweh? This is David De Silva introducing the Apocrypha. A lot of what's going on in the Apocrypha is worldly Israel, the nation of it's Zionism, the nation of Israel. We want the kingdom of David and Solomon back, and all. And they're they're trying to extort the Jewish, you know, the house of Judah, the Jewish brethren, to just keep on persevering in the world they're in, and how to deal with the you know the Romans, and and before that the Greeks taking over the Holy Land. So. A lot of it's going on there. The canonical status of the Apocrypha. It is not in the Hebrew Bible. The Tanakh, the, the Jewish Bible, it's not there. It appears in the Septuagint, except for 2nd Esdras. Making the Septuagint plus, the Hebrew Bible, the, L, the 70, Septuagint 70, LXX, that's Roman numerals. It's, uh, it's additional books from the Hellenistic and Roman periods. Now, the Septuagint was put together by faithful Jews. Okay, so it's not, it's before Christians, it predates Christians. The, the people who put the Septuagint together, though, are Hellenized uh, Jews. So they're Jews that have been living outside of Israel so long that they probably don't even speak Hebrew anymore. They speak Greek. And this is why they translated this, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek so that the scriptures would be available to them. And we've covered that last week, how the Septuagint came to be. They included a lot of the Old Testament Apocrypha. 
and it got included into the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate is like, well, you know, the Romans were like, well, we read Latin, so translate the Bible. Well, they didn't translate the Hebrew scriptures. They translated the Septuagint. So this is how that got into the Latin Bible, the Vulgate. And it, it's viewed as belonging to scripture throughout the Middle Evil period because it was included in the Vulgate. Well, the Vulgate is the Bible of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Okay? So is up until the Reformation, this is why and this is how the Apocrypha got into the Christian world. Prior to this, the Hebrews did not include it. The Jews, what we would think of as Jews. The conical status in the early church, <clears throat> excuse me, the only evidence for the quote-unquote expanded canon comes from the 4th and 5th century Christian community. The early church held on to these books while Jewish communities forgot most of them. This is David De Silva again from the book Introducing the Apocrypha. Included in the greatest biblical manuscripts of the early church, the Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Vaticanus, Codex Alexandrius. These are just Bibles from this area, but each contains different collections. That's part of the problem. The Apocrypha was never settled on. The 66 basic books of the Protestant Bible have been in every Bible. You know, every New Testament by the uh, New Testament Bible, the 24 or 29 books of the Old Testament. I don't remember right off which one it is. That's been in every Old Testament Bible that that's in everybody's. The Apocrypha is not agreed on by anyone. So you might find none of it in the Tanakh. You might find some of it. You might find some in one, you know, in the in the Bible, the whatever the, from the Alexandria, you might find different collection in the. One's from the Vatican, you know, Rome. You might find another one different from Syria. That's the point. They're point that's what they're pointing out. They're, they're, it was never settled on. So the conical status, Jerome and the Vulgate. This is important right here. At the end of the 4th century AD, Pope Dema uh, Damasus uh, commissioned Jerome to prepare a standard Latin version of the scripture. Jerome followed the Hebrew canon. But he included the Apocrypha with explanatory preface. He divided the books into conical. These are used to inform doctrine and practice. That's the Bible the Protestants use today. That's your 66 books. This is Jerome. Okay, this is in the 4th century. I think this is after the Council of Nicaea because you got a pope already. See, he says, okay, these books are canon. Then he says, he includes the Apocrypha. And he says, they could be read in the church for use for edification, but they are not doctrine. Subsequent copyists were not careful enough to transmit Jerome's preface. Or in this case, it's probably Jerome, but they didn't include that. And this is how, over time, people started thinking it was the Bible. So then when you get the Protestant Bible comes along and they kick all the Apocrypha out, <clears throat> then you have somebody comes along and says, look, look what the Christians are hiding. This makes a joke of their faith. And this is part of the problem right here. The Apocrypha does make a joke of the Christian doctrine. And you'll, you'll, you'll understand that before the day is over. But a scoffer comes along, reads the Apocrypha and says, yuck, 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 yuck. Look, you idiots. You, you, your, your Christians hid all this from you. This is part of your faith. No, it's not. The, Protestant Bible is a protection of the faith. 
it, it's what Paul tells you to do. Stick to sound doctrine, not strange teachings. He, he tells you to stay away from those teachings of men and, and strange alienated do- gospels and doctrines. He says, don't teach them. Don't follow after them. That's what the Protestants did. That's the whole point of the Protestant Reformation, to purge the faith of the bad teachings that were within the Catholic Church. That was the whole point. And that's why the Apocrypha was kicked out of the Protestant Bible. We're going to keep going through this. Conical status. Augustine versus Jerome, or Augustine, as some of us would say. To use a gross oversimplification, if we are uh, if we if it were not for Augustine, these books might have been lost to the church forever. If it were not for Jerome, we might never have distinguished them as a collection of books separate from the Old Testament. Again, they're quoting David de Silva introducing the Apocrypha. So Augusta preserves them, but Jerome tells us from the beginning they're not canon. So we have faithful church fathers preserving these things, telling us this is not canon. This is not sound script, not not doctrine, just for edification. And we have forgotten this over time. Augustine vehemently opposed Jerome's attempt to reform popular usage of the church, used Apocrypha in the same manner as other scriptures. He's suitable for establishing doctrine. Now, this this is where I want to talk to you about. We'll come back to him in a minute. But both agree on the value of the Apocrypha books for informing Christians providing models of piety and faithfulness. Augustine is thought of as one of the greatest church fathers. The more and more I've actually started to study him, I've never really focused on him hard, but he's been coming into my studies in tangentially. The, the, the teachers I've been studying with, all dead, all in books, but they've been mentioning Augustine a lot lately. I study a lot of Protestant teachers for a reason, apparently. The Holy Spirit leads me where I read. A lot of criticism of Augustine. And then when I was studying, I got him over here on the corner here, the Christian foundations of the Declaration and the Constitution. Founding fathers had problems with some of Augustine's teachings too. Augustine, or Augustine, he's got a little bit of Gnosticism going on in there, and he's got a lot of Greek thinking, which starts to permeate into the church as time goes on and gets us away from our original Hebrew mindset. So what happens when that Greek thinking starts to creep into the church is you read the same passage, you just get a different understanding from it because you're reading it as a Greek, not a Hebrew. That leads to heresies and bad false doctrines and apostasy. And we've got to be very careful with that. So you need to read Augustine, Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name, with a bowl full of salt. Check him. Check him, check him, check him, because he thinks that the Apocrypha is scripture. And before we're done today, I'm pretty sure I can convince you it's not. At least I hope I can. If you're Catholic, I probably won't succeed in that. The principle of sola scriptura, scripture alone. It's not church tradition. It's source for all doctrine. In other words, not the teachings of men, but the Bible. Well, the Apocrypha is the Bible. No, it didn't. Well, what, uh, no. Well, but no. That's what the Protestants were saying. No. The 66 books of canon that the Protestant church recognizes that, that and that alone. Everything else is outside of it. Well, Jerome told us from the beginning it's outside of that. 
And Augustine, because he was so influential, come along and says, eh, we can use him. So we get a big old fight, and the Catholics keep it. And now the Luther comes along, and he stickles that, you know, posts his, his complaints to the door with the knife, and here we go. Luther's 1534 German translation placed the Apocrypha between the Old Testament and the New Testament with the title Apocrypha, that is, books which are not held equal to the sacred scriptures and nevertheless are useful and good to read. So Luther is telling you these are not canon, but they're good for edification. And he stuck them in the middle, which is exactly where they were written. So Luther got it going on. Coverdale's 1535 English translation, Apocrypha, the books and treaties which among the fathers of old are not reckoned to be of like authority with the other books of the Bible, neither are they found in the canon of the Hebrew. So the Protestants recognize this. Calvin's 1546 Geneva Bible, Apocrypha, useful and fruitful for Christians to read as long as content are interpreted in line with canonical scriptures. So what do we have here? Part of the Protestant Reformation, reforming the Catholic, the faith from the Catholic doctrine, the, snatching it back away from the teachings of men, the traditions and teachings of men. And you're going to understand before we're done, there are some things in here in the Apocrypha that is very Catholic in nature. I was raised Catholic. I got all the way up through my confirmation when my mother finally told me that she's not going to force me to go anymore. And I quit right then and there. That was it. She said I had reached the age of moral maturity where I had to make my own faith decisions, and I quit with the Catholic Church because I knew it had trouble. I didn't know why. It's just back then I knew that it was hypocritical. Well, you'll understand in a minute or two as we get going through the show. But the Protestants, Calvin, Coverdale, and Luther, they all recognize this. They all recognize what Jerome tried to tell everybody. So Augustine... One of, not the sole source of this, one of the reasons that the Apocrypha got. It's the whole idea some people think that it's been hidden and it, that it should be there and it's not because somebody's trying to hide something from you. Conical status in the Protestantism. The 39 Articles of the Church of England, 1563. It says, and the other books, as Jerome saith, the church doth read for example of life and instruction of manners, but yet doth not apply them to establishing any doctrine. So the 39 articles of the Church of England, they're telling you that the Apocrypha are not doctrine. They're not canon. King James Version of 1611 included the Apocrypha. Here we go again. Now you know where we got some of our problems. King James only. Well, there was a reason the King James Bible was written. I'm not telling you they didn't translate the Masoretic text correctly as best as they understood them at the time. I'm telling you they're writing that Bible for a different, for a political purpose, politically motivated. They're, they're, they're trying to get closer back to the Catholics, just their way of doing it. That they want a Catholic version of Protestantism for King James so that the people won't turn against him. We've covered this. We covered this last week. So the Westminster Confessions in 1647, the books, talking about the Apocrypha, the books commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are not part of the canon of Scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the Church of God, nor to be otherwise to prove or made use of than other human writings. So, you see, it's not just one person. 
it was over 100 plus years of the Protestant movement, the Reformation, getting closer back to the original faith and teachings. That's why the canon was purged of the Apocrypha. So the Council on Nicaea got it wrong. Well, no. They were using the Vulgate. They thought that was the Bible at the time. There, there were probably people who knew that the Hebrew Tanakh, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, didn't have the Apocrypha in it. They just didn't win out in the argument. As the Holy Spirit moved us in the Reformation, he purged this stuff. Conical Status Roman Catholic Council of Trent, 1546, declared that canon of the Old Testament includes the Apocrypha, except First and Second Ezra and the prayers of Manasseh or Manasseh. It's pronounced, and uh, they pronounced an anthem um, on anyone who does not accept as sacred and conical the aforesaid books in their entirety and with all their parts, as they had been accustomed to be reading in the Catholic Church, and as they are contained in the old Vulgate edition. Okay, so th th this is the Catholic version of King James only, Vulgate only. Well, the Vulgate is a copy of the Septuagint. The Septuagint's a copy of the Masoretic texts, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament. But they just added some things in there that the Hebrews rejected. So what the Christian, the Catholic Church is basically doing here is saying, we couldn't possibly be wrong because then that would mean that the Pope is fallible and we're fallible and therefore Vulgate only. Hebrews be danged. Well, don't forget, we got a little anti-Jewish sentiment going on here at this time in Christianity. So we're not going to worry about that Jewish Bible thing. And as we get along further away from this and scholars get back into it, we start realizing how things got off the rails. Continues to hear, distinguishes protocanical books recognized by the entire church from the beginning as inspired and deuteroconical books, those whose inspiration was recognized later. Deuteroconical, we'll get to that in a minute, but just think Apocrypha. And it wasn't recognized later, not by everybody, not even close. Calvin's response to all this, I am not one of those who want to damn altogether the reading of these books, but put trust in them? That has never been their lot hitherto. So now Calvin is weighed in. Yeah, read them for edification, but they are not inspired and never have been. There's a war between the Protestants and the Catholics. And this is one of the biggest reasons why Catholics were teaching bad doctrine as scripture. Some specific Protestant doctrinal objections. A treasury of merits upon which one and maybe others could draw before the judgment seat of God. Tobit. This is from the, the, Apocry the Apocrypha. This is Tobit's one of the, Tobit, one of the books. So Tobit 4, 7 through 11. Give alms from your possessions to all who live uprightly and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. Do not turn your face away from any poor man and the face of God will not be turned away from you. If you have many possessions, make your gifts from them in pro proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to that little you have. So you will be laying up a good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity. For charity delivers from death and keeps you from entering the darkness. And for all who practice it, charity is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. Sounds like scripture, right? That's works. That's buying your way into heaven, literally. This is one of the reasons that the Catholics wanted Tobit in their doctrine. Back in the medieval ages, you bought forgiveness for your sins from the church, and the church got rich off of it. 
filthy, stinking rich. That right there is heresy. If you give charity, you get to make sure you're assured to heaven. You're, you're storing up you know, treasures in heaven from giving to charity. It's just the problem was is that Catholics taught the same thing that our, our, our um, government teaches today. I'm not allowed to go feed the poor because it's on public land or private land. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give to the poor. I got to make sure it's FDA regulated. I need all sorts of license. I, I just can't feed the poor. So I got to give the government money so that they can feed the poor. Well, the Catholic Church taught this in medieval ages. Don't give to the poor directly. Give to us and then let us take care of the poor because we know how to do it better. So what ended up happening is it turned into almsgiving and the Catholic Church got rich off of this. Yeah, declare your gift, Corbin, and you don't have to take care of your parents. Gee, sounds exact familiar. Exact same pattern, yes. And it was condemned by Yeshua, wasn't it? Yes, it was. The Protestants condemned this too, for good reason. Okay, some specific Protestant doctrines, uh, doctrinal objections. Praying and offering masses to secure forgiveness and salvation for those who died with sins on their consciousness. That's the complaint. Second Maccabees, chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. Maccabees is apocrypha. He, Judas Maccabeus, also took up a collection man by man, to the amount of 2,000 drachma of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this, he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Therefore, he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. Let's come back to the last part of this in a minute. Making atonement for the dead? The Bible clearly said, yeah, chop in there. Sounds very Mormon of him. Yes, but it's also baptism for the dead. Baptism, you know, that's mentioned in, in the scriptures too, telling you don't do that. And the scriptures say it is appointed to all men to die once and then be judged. Then comes judgment. Nobody can make atonement for you once you're dead. That That is a sound scriptural principle. Once you're dead, it's too late. This is teaching a heresy. That conflicts with sound scripture. This breaks scripture. Therefore, this cannot be scripture. There's no way to look at this in a different, this, this is not a paradox. This, folks, is a direct contradiction to Scripture. This can't be resolved. This isn't something that all, you just got to look at it the right way. So what the Apocrypha supporters would come along and say, well, Joe, you just don't see it. You're not enlightened. If you were enlightened like us and you knew the secret knowledge, you'd understand this. No. No. This is not Scripture. It's not secret, it's sacred. Yeah. And then at the bottom, purgatory. Tobit and Second Maccabees do not support it technically, but doctrines themselves are associated with the securing early release from purgatory. There are other passages in the Apocrypha that do establish the idea of purgatory. The Old Testament Apocrypha. Roman Catholics and some Eastern Orthodox churches recognize the writings listed below as scripture. Protestants acknowledge their literary value and historical significance, but do not view them as possessing spiritual authority. This is Old Testament. Additions to Esther, Baruch, Bell and Dragon, 
Ecclesiasticus, wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, first and second Esdras, Judith, epistles of Jeremiah, first, second, third, and fourth Maccabees, prayer of Azariah, prayer of Manasseh or Menasheh, Psalm 151, song of the three young men, Susanna, Tobit, and wisdom of Solomon. All apocrypha. Um, hmm, Baruch. <laughs> Gotta be careful with that. If you go back to the Hebrew spelling of that, it's Barak. We were talking about that in our class on Islam. <laughs> Lightning. Um, let's just, let's, let's, all right. Certain things I'm trying not to do here, folks. Apologize. So we've been through that. Um, this is a case here of also where Wikipedia is, it, it can be very helpful to you. I'm always cautious with Wiki, but Wikipedia goes through the Apocrypha, the etymology, what the word means, the esoteric writings and objects, writings of questionable value, spurious writings, others, et cetera, et cetera. This is a page we're going to start right here, and we're going to spend a little time on before we go any further. Why is the Apocrypha excluded? This is from Blue Letter Bible. The piece is written by Don Stewart. This is, it's in your homework. You'll find the link. Why were the books of the Old Testament Apocrypha rejected as Holy Scripture by the Protestants? One, the Apocrypha has different doctrines and practices than the Holy Scripture. It says it teaches a person to be saved by works, and they quote Tobit, which we've just read. And in other places of Tobit 14, 11, it says, So now, my children, see what almsgiving accomplishes, and what injustice does it bring death? Huh? And what injustice does it brings death? It's talking about how if you give to the poor, you can preserve your life. That's a works-based salvation. It's also in First Maccabees. Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? We'll say, yeah, Abraham was, he was justified by faith in the Bible. This is saying when he was tested. So in other words, a work. Unless he had passed the test, he, he wasn't, so Maccabees is being read here as teaching works. And the Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, through nine, or 8 and 9. Non-biblical doctrines of purgatory is taught in the Apocrypha. This is Second Maccabees, um, in, in that passage we've already read. The Bible teaches that upon death, one either goes to be with the Lord or is sent away from him. This is just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, Hebrews 9.27. According to the Apocrypha, God hears the prayers of the dead. It says, this is from Barak 3.4. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, hear now the prayer of the dead of Israel, the children of those who sinned before you, who do not heed the voice of the Lord their God, so that uh, calamities have clung to us. Folks, when you're dead, the Bible calls it sleeping. You're not praying. You're dead. But hold on a second there. Is that entirely true? Because is there not a place in Revelation where it says that those that were martyred for the word are crying out under the altar? That's after the cross. Well, that's a technicality. Not in this case. This is before the cross. Okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> Remember, after the cross, he rescues many from Sheol. Yes. That's the first resurrection. 
And that is why when you're absent the body, you are to be with the Lord now. That's the only way to justify the passages in the New Testament. That deals with that answer. We had to email that one listener that asked about heaven and hell and where you go. It's a touchy, difficult subject in the New Testament, one that we will address in future class. But for the time being, this is an Old Testament book before the cross. You stay in the bosom of Abraham or you stay at Sheol. You're dead. Got it. And there is nowhere in the scriptures, in the conical books, that tells us that Yahweh hears the prayers of the dead. Because once you die, it comes judgment. So prayers are going to do you no good at that point. Right, right. Okay. So. Bloop. The Apocrypha teaches the pre-existence of souls. Yeah, you're going to be popping back on here again in a minute. It says, uh, this is wisdom book. As a child, I was naturally gifted and a good soul fell to my lot. Or rather, being good, I entered an undefiled body. Uh, folks, that's Mormonistic theology, as I understand the Mormons. Yep. But that is not Bible. Bible says Yahweh breathes his spirit into you as you're made, as you're knit in the womb. It, it, it doesn't say you pre-existed. He puts it in you, each and every one of you individually. It teaches creation out of pre-existent matter. And I'm not going to read all of this. The Apocrypha says the body weighs down the soul. That is straight up Gnosticism out of the book of, of uh, wisdom. It says the Apocrypha is never cited in the New Testament as scripture. The Apocrypha has always been rejected by the Jews as a scripture. The books of the Apocrypha were written during the silent years after the, the prophets have been silent. That's important. The Septuagint trans, uh, translation proves nothing. That's true. There is no evidence the Apocrypha was uh, in the Septuagint at the time of Christ. Now, that's interesting. I did not know that. I'll have to look into that. There is no evidence of a greater Alexandria canon which is a claim of those who defend the Apocrypha. And they are not on the early conical lists in the Apostolic Fathers. The Apocrypha was rejected by most church leaders. The early Greek manuscripts are not decisive, et cetera, et cetera. And you can go through this. He's got a list of them here for you. This is all, if you're watching the class, all of that is why he rejects the Apocrypha. He also says, Augustine, while a great thinker, did not read Hebrew and knew very little Greek. Furthermore, he accepted the fanciful account of the origin of the Septuagint. Jerome, a real Hebrew scholar, rejected the books outright. That's important right there. Like I told you, the more and more I run into Augustine, the less and less I'm liking him. Here's something else. This is from Carm. This is an apologetic Christian site. Reasons why the Apocrypha does not belong in the Bible. One of the things they point out, and then Charlie, we dealt with this this morning. And you might want to comment on this when we get done with this real quick. Jesus, Yeshua, he implicitly rejected the Apocrypha of Scripture by referring to the entire accepted Jewish canon of Scripture. This is going to be in Luke 11, 51 and Matthew 23, 35, where it says, from the blood of Abel, which is Genesis 4, 8, to the blood of Zechariah, 2 Chronicles 24, 20, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, Yahweh, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Abel was the first martyr in the Old Testament from the book of Genesis, while Zechariah was the last martyr in the book of Chronicles. In the Hebrew canon, the first book was Genesis, and the last book is Chronicles. In Hebrew roots, people, pay attention to what he just said. Tell them what we found out this morning, Charlie. Pop yourself on here. Go ahead and pop okay. on. Because well, we had we discussed this book. I, I want the audience, I want the class to understand how we do some of this. 
Yes, because I, as I came out of the Mormon church, I went into what I would call the Hebrew roots movement. Um, <laughs> yeah, now you're a follower of the way, yeah, more like I'm, me. I'm a follower <laughs> of the way now. I, I, in fact, I'm reading a book right now on the Hebrew roots. Oh my Anyhow, gosh. Let's not get distracted anyway, on that. <laughs> but this particular one, there was a teaching that I had heard that the Zechariah that was talked about here was actually the father of John the Baptist. Based on the Zechariah son of. Right. Zechariah son of uh, Baruch, I believe it was. But yeah, anyway, I, I had to, oops, sorry. I had to go in and, and run this bunny trail down. And, and I actually found that it's, the prophet Zechariah from the old and Zechariah says that's that's who Zachariah he's son says of. That's who he is, and so this myth that I thought I knew something was blown out. So I and it was to, right there in the scripture. Yes, I had to take that brick out and smash it and uh, put a new brick in its place that fit right into place. I didn't have to even use any mortar; it just slid right in place. And, you know, that's what we got to do because, you know, sometimes we'll listen to a teacher and it sounds so good, but then when you go and look, you find out, oh, that ain't what the word says. Oh, and we highly encourage you to test us. Yes, please. please. And when you do, when you do, if you find something we're saying that ain't right. Let us know. Let us know. Call us down so that we can, you know, figure out what's going on and, you know. We'll we'll issue a retraction, won't we, Joe? Yes, we will. <laughs> so now what Jesus is doing, Yeshua is doing there when he, like Charlie had put this er, great earlier today, when he says from Abel to Zechariah, he's talking about bookends of the Tanakh, yeah, he's putting bookends the first and the last Tanakh. book of the Tanakh. Yeah. He's telling you what the canon is, yeah. but he also does it another one. I did not come to destroy the prophets, or the law or the prophets. Mm-hmm. Well, the prophets, it, it, when the prophets end, when the prophets went silent, that was the end of canon. The law is the first five books, the Pentateuch. And then when the prophets go silent, the end of canon has been written. Yeah. So he, he tells you two different ways. That's canon. So all the intertestimonial books, Yeshua never once acknowledges. And you'll hear Joe use the term Tanakh. Tanakh is an abbreviation <laughs> that means Torah, prophets, and writings. It's Torah, Nevi'im, uh, Ketavim. Uh, in the Hebrew, and it's just abbreviated as Tanakh. Yeah, Hebrew Old Testament, the Jewish so Old Testament. Th you'll find that the order of the books in the Jewish canonical works are in a different order than they are in the Christian canon. Yes, and one of the things that helps you there with the, I know this is little rabbits we're throwing at you, but this is just this is just how I teach. You soak it in over time. But when you read our Old Testament, it doesn't really... The way we've put it, it doesn't help you a lot. But when you read it, the Jewish, you have the law, then you have the prophets. They This is concurrent. And then you have the writings. They're all concurrent. They all happened at the same time. Our Greek mind puts them in a linear way that makes a little sense to us. But to the Hebrew, the, the laws being written at the same time that the Psalms and everything concur with the, the writings, which is the history books. Some of this stuff interacts back and forth. Oh, yeah. It, it's all happening at the same time. And the way the Jewish book is read, it's like you read, okay, here's the law from 
from here to here. And then I start all over with all the profits and I go, okay, go back in time, start from again, from here to here. That's what's going on with the profits. Now go back in time from here to here. That's what's going on in the, in the political, you know, material world. It's that repetition. It's that Hebrew parallelism. And it shows in their arrangement of the old Testament, not in ours. Right. And this is what we're going to probably do next week. Start learning to think like a Hebrew. So, but for today, this is why we watch out very carefully for the Apocrypha. Now, we're going to show you why it gets even better. Jeez. <laughs> it's worse than that, Jim. Yeah, it's worse than that, Jim. Here's the Apocrypha from the New Testament. The Gospel of the Ibionites, the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Gospel of the Nazarenes, the Gospel of Marconi or Marcionia or Marcion or whatever, which sounds an awful lot like that angel that come and talk to Joseph Smith. The gospel of Manny, the gospel of Epilus, the gospel of Bardanius or Bardesanes, the gospel of Basilides, the gospel of Thomas, gospel of Peter, gospel of Nicodemus, gospel of Bartholomew, questions of Bartholomew, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that is apocrypha and pseudepigrapha in this case. Well, but that's apocrypha. The, the one over here on the right is, you know, pseudepigrapha, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get to that in a minute. Acts, Acts of Andrew, the Acts of Barnabas, the Acts of John, the Acts of the Martyrs, the Acts of Paul, Acts of Paul and uh, Thecla, the Acts of Peter, the Acts of Peter and Andrew, the Acts of Peter and Paul, the Acts of Peter and the Twelve, the Acts of Philip, the Acts of Pilate, the Acts of Thomas, the Acts of Timothy, Acts of Zathippe, Plexina, and Rebecca, all of this garbage, 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 garbage. Most of it was written three, four, five hundred years after the New Testament canon's been sealed. Most of it is just, like I said, garbage. And there's people who come around now, the the scoffers will say, look what was been hidden from you. And if you read this, you find out all about Jesus was married to Mary and all. Garbage. And a lot of this is pseudepigrapha. Yes. And we'll, we'll get to the pseudepigrapha here shortly. But this is what the apocrypha is. And, and why we just don't, it, it's not there. We don't want it. it. It's not canon. It teaches contrary to the principles of the, of the sound scriptures of the Tanakh and the, and the prophets. One other thing, um, you're going to find this link in your show notes. This is from Bible Tools, and it's uh, what the Bible says about secret knowledge, about Gnosticism. This not just for the apo- uh, uh, apocrypha and the pseudepigrapha, but this is a good read about the, the secret knowledge and what you need to be careful of. Um, there's two two types of secret knowledge in your Bible. One's good, one's bad. The secret knowledge of the cross has been known from the beginning of Genesis. You know, you're going to bruise his heel, he'll crush your head. Okay, that's a foretelling. Well, that's the secret knowledge that's in the Old Testament that you can only see when you look backward on it. Prophecy is secret knowledge until after it's fulfilled. That's the that's the Greek mindset of a mystery. Until it's revealed, it, it's there in front of you, but you don't see it clearly. Gnostic secret knowledge is only the select enlightened few will ever understand it. And if if you can't understand it, you're never gonna you're not one of those. It, it, it's a twisting of the origin of actual so, sound scriptural teachings. You got to be really, really, really careful with this stuff. So if you're going to ever go into it, make sure you go into it with a good teacher, please. Or after you have really studied the scriptures yourself and you've got the doctrine down pat. Um, I was 15 years studying the Bible 
like a fiend, man. Before I, I was told, okay, you know, before I was shown, it, it's okay, go ahead. You can start studying that stuff. 15 years, and then I still don't like it. And the only things I even really get into, for the most part, is the, the work in the books of Enoch. And we'll we'll focus on that in a minute after the, after the break. We'll get into the pseudepigrapha, the deuterocanical, and then we'll look at Enoch and the extra extraconical books that the Bible tells you to read. Yeah, now the Bible does tell you to read certain books, and they're not apocrypha. They're just um, different ancient wisdom books and teachings. We'll get to that in a little bit. That's the second hour of this. But for the most part, for right now, and I'll show you the picture of this in a little bit, so don't worry, but this is the Apocrypha, complete works of the Apocrypha, almost as thick as the Bible itself, right? The Old Testament Apocrypha. I don't even care about the New Testament Apocrypha. That's all fiction. It, it, there's nothing useful in it, in, in my opinion nothing it's just heresies and it'll lead you into bad places you should stay away from that but this in a nutshell that that's apocrypha apocrypha is the hidden or the secret books it was kicked out of canon primarily by and it was not always part of all bibles the coptic church never had it because the coptic church coming out of egypt and in um jerusalem in that area they were much more Hebrew in, in, in their practices. And I don't know about the church of Antioch, which would be Syria in that area. And I don't know about the, um, well, there's the church, Coptic church is Egypt, the church of Jerusalem in Syria. I don't know about them, but I'm pretty sure that the Coptic church didn't have it. Um, and the church of Jerusalem didn't have it. I, I don't know about um, Syria, Antioch in that area, but you gotta, like I said, you gotta be careful with all this stuff. You gotta do a little research. You're not going to go wrong sticking to the Protestant Bible with the 66 canonical books. They're in every Bible known to us. New Testament. So, eh. And they don't contradict each other. Skeptics will tell you they do. Ah, trust me. If there was a contradiction in there, I'd have found it by now. I've been looking. And I'm made to where they go, bing, in my head. And half the things people like me teaching is just because I've found what others have, th oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible and I found it and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here's how you rectify that. Th this is the way to look at it that harmonizes it with the rest of scripture. And a lot of believers listen to me explain those things and they go, oh, cool. Well, just the way I'm made, man, nothing big. It's not me. It's just proof that he's who he says he is and the scriptures are what they claim to be because they were written by too many people over too great a period of time in too many different languages, periods of history, cultural times, political times, and they still harmonize? Nah, beyond the work of man. And I've just been made to, in a way that I decipher this stuff. I'm just a servant. I, ain't nothing big deal about me. Heck, I'm surprised anybody even listens to me. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take the break just a little early. This is a good spot to stop right now. Take a break. Come back, we'll talk about the pseudepigrapha, the Deuteronomy canon, and then we're going to take a special look at Enoch and a few other little things that were outside of the scriptures that the scriptures tell you to read, and then I'll go over the biography of the different books, at least that I have sitting on the desk here right now, and we'll wrap this one up and talk about um, what we're doing the rest of the week and what we'll do next Worship Wednesday. So we'll see you in six minutes. It's time for Charlie to dance. See you. <music>
and Charlie's done dancing. <laughs> Hebrew polka. <laughs> all right. Welcome back, folks. Hopefully, you all are back in your pew now because we've got to keep on going here. Otherwise, we might run out of time today and have to go overboard. What is the pseudepigrapha? Should it be in the Bible? Okay. All pseudepigrapha is apocrypha. Not all apocrypha is pseudepigrapha. It's one of these weird things. I like this guy's explanation. The Greek word pseudepigrapha is a Greek word meaning falsely subscribed, or what we moderns might call writing under a pen name. The classification Old Testament pseudepigrapha is labeled that scholars have given these writings, or OT pseudepigrapha. And there's also New Testament pseudepigrapha, et cetera, et cetera. What happened, this is not necessarily plagiarism or, you know, anybody trying to deceive anybody, not necessarily, especially in the Old Testament. Yes, sir. I thought Charlie was going to make a comment. Um, In in the Mediterranean basin, the, the the old ancient world, classic world, it was common for somebody to write a book under the name of a very well known individual. It was how they gave gravitas or authority to what they were writing. In our world, we would see that as dishonesty and and bad way of doing things. But back then, it was an accepted practice. The problem is that that Old Testament might not necessarily been meant to be bad. And you have some of this in in your Bible, the book of Joshua. We have no proof that it was written by Joshua. It's called the book of Joshua. So we don't know that he wrote that. We don't know who wrote it. Book of Hebrews. Well, we call it the Book of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote that either. So it goes under the you know pseudepigrapher of Hebrews wrote it or whatever. This is how this works, and it's not necessarily a bad thing until you get to the New Testament times. Then people did start writing things falsely under different names to get credit for it when they were trying to teach bad doctrine. They were trying to work Gnosticism into the faith and deflect people from the true path. So this is another one of these things that all depends on who's saying it and why. Okay, I already showed you the complete book of the Apocrypha. This is uh, this is the second uh, 2022 edition. I have one that's a little older, but I, I showed you I have that here with me today. Apocrypha and Deuterocanical books. Well, I guess before we get into that, let's go over here. If you go to your show notes. Once again, Bible Gateway, right? This is where I want to start when I start reading this stuff. Meaning in the designation, list of the writings, it gives you stuff we've already gone over. This is the problem of classification, what is and isn't pseudepigrapha, Christian preservation of the pseudepigrapha, and the significance of the pseudepigrapha. So it goes over that. This is another case of where Wikipedia is very useful to us. Again, etymology. What does the word mean? Classic and biblical studies, literal studies, Old Testament and intertestimonial periods, a list of the pseudepigrapha and apocrypha, then the New Testament, and it goes through. I mean, this is not bad, and it's all cited here in this case. And then back to Blue Letter Bible. What are the Old Testament pseudepigrapha? Now, let's deal with Enoch and Jubilees later, but the Old Testament pseudepigrapha define false writings. It goes over that. The exact total of the writings is unknown, and that's true. They give you a better idea of the problem you're dealing with. Enoch is the classic example of pseudepigrapha, and it's a big one. We'll touch on that in a few minutes. But then uh, Jude, people think Jude and Peter both are citing Enoch, and we'll get to that in a minute when we're talking about Enoch. But this is another very good article 
on the pseudepigrapha. This brings us to the deuterocanonical books. Again, Wikipedia can be our friend sometimes. And Wikipedia does another good job of it right here for us. It even gives us graphs and charts. So if you want to understand the deuterocanonical books a little better, you can go back there. After the show is over, you can get in your class notes. But let me let me just give you deuterocanonical in a, you've already seen it, but to put this in a uh, nutshell, the deuterocanonical, those books of Apocrypha that the Catholic and Orthodox churches accept. Usually it's seven books. Um, seven. Deuterocanonical books are Apocrypha. It's basically like extra canon books. They're apocryphic. They're, they're apocryphal. But they're put in the, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox um, Bibles. So that's that's essentially that's all that, that you're dealing with there. That's 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 what Deuterocanonical means. Just another word for accepted apocrypha. Now, I've got both of these books here. And if you're watching the class, you can see the case for the Deutero Canon, Evidence and Arguments by Gary G. Uh, Mik Mikuda or Michuda. And there are people who argue it should be scripture. I tend to disagree. And it's a good thing he and I are not in the same room sometimes when he wants to make his argument. I, I would cause him some headaches. And I got another little book here. It's the 15 Myths, Mistakes, and Misrepresentations about the Deutero Canon by the same guy. It's Gary Mikuda. But this is because I read both sides of everything. I, I want to see what he's arguing. He's basically a Catholic apologist. The, the Apocrypha and the, and the Pseudepigrapha, when you, if you know your 66 Protestant Bible well, and I mean well, and then you start reading this other stuff, you will very quickly realize you got problems on your hands with the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha real quick. And if you're anything like me, you'll be like, juice ain't worth the squeeze, baby. I don't even want to, I don't care. I, I just, I don't care. But at the same time, if you don't read it from time to time, or at least pieces of it, you'll never like uh, Hanukkah. Where's that come from? That's not in the Bible. Festival of lights is mentioned in the Bible. That's Hanukkah. And it says Yeshua goes up to the temple during the festival of lights. It's Hanukkah. But you got to, what was it? And Charlie, is that Maccabees? Is it where we find out about that? Yes, it's in Maccabees. Okay. So that's okay. Cool. All right. We can accept Hanukkah, but you're not going to find out about that except in Maccabees, which means this, this is a extra biblical holiday that we've created. And Yeshua, apparently he didn't condemn it. The scriptures don't say he condemns it. He went up to the temple during it, which is unless the scriptures, he condemns it in the scriptures. It's a de facto endorsement of it. And he endorses some of the, the ideas that come strictly out of the Enochian material. So it, that just doesn't mean it's inspired. It didn't come from directly from the Holy Spirit or Yahweh. It, it doesn't mean that it's not for edification. Edification meaning background information in education. So let's deal with, well, real quick before we do that, we were talking about who accepts what. The Roman Catholics accept Tobit, Judith, editions of Esther, Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, Barak, Letters of Jeremiah, Songs of the Three, Susan, Bell and the, Bell and the Dragon, Maccabees, and First and Second Maccabees. Greek Orthodox accepts Third and Fourth Maccabees in Psalms 151. 
Russian Orthodox, only first through third Maccabees and Psalms, plus the prayers of Menashe. And this is just different. Coptic Church has a few different ones. Um, you pursue this on your own as you go. I've given you the threads of the information you run from there. The Book of Enoch. Oh, boy. Grab some popcorn and a soda and sit down, boys and girls. Here we go. This is where it gets fun. All right. Once again, for me, Bible Gateway is where I start. Background information, if they have anything on it, that's where I start. If not, Bible Hub, you know, Bible Tools, Blue Letter Bible, et cetera, et cetera. But it, they're going to give you the big background on the Book of Enoch. Again, Wikipedia is not necessarily our enemy in this case. They do a good job with Book of Enoch. And then here's one of the things you might want to look up later if you want to know, why wasn't Enoch included? Well, what are the historical reasons the Book of Enoch was excluded from most Christian canons? Historical background, authorship, location, dates, occasion, considerations of canonicity, factors and consideration of first Enoch canonicity, assessments of determining factors, works cited. This is this is a good piece right here. This is a very good piece. We're not going to go through it. This is biblical hermeneutics, which is how do you translate? But this is this is kind of like Korah for for Bible believers in, in this format here. But this answer here, the second answer, very, very good. Very good. But now if we pop over to our homework and you scroll down, you're going to find Mr. Enoch himself telling you the Bible Enoch is not canon. Here's why. This is Dr. Michael Heiser. One of, he, he was recently called home. He recently passed away. He is one of the best known modern advocates of the Enochian material, but this is him telling you it's not canon. Okay. As much as he promotes it, he's telling you it's not canon. He's just fascinated with the fact that the new Testament writers had the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha in their heads. They're thinking about it in the teachings and the lessons that come out of it. It's, it's not nothing to them. Okay. Um, so he, he's a good, he's, if you're going to get into this, he's a good one to go with. All right. He's a matter of fact, we'll, we'll get to him in just a minute. This is the Jewish book of first Enoch first Enoch. For the most part, what we have of it comes out of the Ethiopian church. Um, if it hadn't been for the Ethiopian church, we probably, there's several books that we have running around today. We would have probably been lost to us, but this here. This one here is a translation of First Enoch. Enoch is actually a collection of books. And that explanation, I just told you why, um, why it's excluded. If you go to the Bible hermeneutics page about why Enoch was, they go over really, really well about how it's, it's a collection of five, six, seven books. And it's very tight. This is almost a mini Bible in and of itself. The, the Enochian material, when it's all put together, it, it's it's pretty tight little story that's within itself. It's coherent when you match it up against the Bible. Oh boy, do we have problems, huge problems because the character of Enoch in the Enochian material pretty much is a Messiah figure. Although he's not, he's never claimed to be, but he mirrors the things the Messiah does even going up to heaven and down, you know, who has ascended and descended. Well, apparently Enoch has, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That is a messianic term only. 
Okay, it, it's not even four-figure type terminology. That's Messiah only. Well, Enoch in the Enochian material, the figure of Enoch is very messianic in some of the things he does and some of the ways he's portrayed. That would be heretical. That's 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 blasphemy, um, it, it, which never seems to get mentioned by the people who support this material. But I've got issues with it. That, I guess that's just me. This here, if you're looking, this is the books, the books of Enoch. See what I'm saying? It's this volumes containing the first book of Enoch, the Ethiopic book of Enoch. The second book of Enoch, which is the Slavonic Secrets of Enoch. Secrets, there's that Apocrypha of Enoch. The third book of Enoch, the Hebrews book of Enoch, which what we just held up here. This is, I thought this one came out of the Ethiopian. I guess this is the Hebrew Enoch. This is Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. And then the book of fallen angels, the watchers and the origins of evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. This gets into your movies in Hollywood a lot. The watchers and the, the fallen angels. If you are going to study Enoch, please know your Bible before you do. But now, out of all of the Apocrypha, this is the one I would tell you there might be a reason to take a look at. Either know your Bible well, or have a good teacher go through this with you. If you need a good teacher to go through it with you, my suggestion is Dr. Michael Heiser. You see, in the classroom here on the chalkboard. I got both of these books here, but if you're not able to see the chalkboard today, this is a companion to the book of Enoch volumes one and two by Dr. Michael Heiser. He will hand walk you through Enoch and he'll explain what's going on there. He's good with this. It's probably the best I've encountered. It's got a lot of videos on YouTube about the Enochian material. You can look that up. The reason he is heavy into Enoch is it's connected to his pet project in scripture, which would be the divine council worldview. That's basically that on earth as in heaven, Yahweh, God has a divine council of 70 um, created beings, angels, and they help him do his work. He ministers through them. And then that's mirrored in the 70 elders that help judge Israel for Moses. And then the 70 members of the Sanhedrin that you know, govern the, the temple in the 70 and the 70, you got 70 um, heads of the nations in uh, Genesis 10 and 11. This number 70 echoes all the way through because it's reflective of the divine council. Psalms 82, Psalm 89. Uh, there's a passage, I think, in Second Kings. It, it, it's all throughout the Bible. Um, it's also, uh, we've done shows on this before too. It's also geographic, spiritual geography type language. And you're not going to understand the gospel fully and properly until you understand um, the divine council worldview. So if you ever do that, the unseen realm by Dr. Michael Heiser, and then the book reversing Hermon. Oh, those two are excellent, but they reference Enochian thinking. So the idea of hell, Gehana, Hades, the lake of fire, that all comes from the Enochian material. And Yeshua seems to have accepted that. Now, a lot of people will say that that was um, just by then because of that valley where they burned all the trash and it was always on fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's a physical reflection or earth shadow of the spiritual truth that's being taught. But Yeshua definitely affirms the idea of the lake of fire. We all know that. He warns us of hell, Hades, you know, Gehana. 
hell would be the English English term. Hades would be the Greek, I think, and uh, Gehana would be the Hebrew. Same concept. Um, so he seems to acknowledge that. Jude and Peter both seem to reference Enochian material. Uh, Peter, uh, I think it's in Second Peter, he talks about the angels that were imprisoned in the Tartarus. Well, that's the Tartarus. That's the Tartarus from Greek and Roman mythology. The prison for the demigods that are imprisoned in the underworld in Sheol. That is the same word. It's the same thought. That, that that's Enochian in thinking. Um, and I'm not sure which comes which first. I, I don't know where it comes from, and I don't. I don't really particularly myself care. But that you have, you know, the the angels who are in prison, the pit in the Book of Revelation. That's Enochian thinking. That all of this seems to permeate your New Testament thinking, and it comes from or at least what we have of it to tell us today what's going on is it's the Enochian material. It's all that stuff I was just showing you. Now, Enoch and the Enochian thinking is very tied to Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. The fallen angels, the watchers, they come down, they mate with human women. Now, a lot of people don't want don't to go there, but it seems to be what the Bible's talking about. And in the New Testament, it's it's alluded to by Peter and, and Paul as well, um, that that's the thinking. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, it's very apparent that at least two, 300 years before um, Christ is born, the Jewish community that translated the first five books of, of the Bible, the Pentateuch into Greek for the start of the Septuagint, you know, the magical 70, there's that number 70 again. They translated it as, as giants and um, fallen angels mating with women. And that's where you get your giants and the Nephilim. And that's more apocryphal information that comes from the Enochian material. This is the book of giants. And it, it, it goes over the watchers, the Nephilim in the book of Enoch. This is a subset of what I was just telling you about. Um, we'll get to that in a minute, but this is, um, this is part of the Enochian material. It's fascinating to us. We love it. We, we like the stories. Be very careful with it. Be very careful with it. A lot of people make doctrine out of this. Even Heiser, as much as he loves it, tells you it's not canon. It's not inspired. It conflicts with the Bible, directly conflicts, contradicts it. Um, it, it's dang near blasphemous in certain areas, but it does seem to enlighten and educate. And the biggest point where it's important to us to understand when Jesus, Yeshua, when he goes, as in the days of Noah, oh boy, is that a loaded word? What did you call that? Charlie, you said Enoch is, is the ancient's version of our, what, Star Wars story? Yeah, yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it is. Yes. Because Star Wars is a conglomeration of independent storylines that are all mushed together and aren't necessarily consistent within each other. You know, like uh, Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and all this stuff jammed together, and it, they create, you know, conflicts within the storyline when they do that. That's a lot like the Enochian material. But when Yeshua tells his audience, intertestimonial period audience, as in the days of Noah, this is what he's bringing up. 
and today we read it and he goes, well, he's just talking about they were marrying and giving their hand in marriage and eating and drinking and doing whatever. So no, he doesn't mean, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeshua was not a dim-witted individual, brilliant human being, as well as Yahweh, God incarnate. He knew what he was doing. And what it was is shorthand for his culture. So he brings all of that up when he mentions it because it's connected to his gospel. The kingdom, the, the gospel of the kingdom, and if you doubt me, you just go to Bible Gateway and you type that in. The gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of God or the gospel of heaven. And you're going to find there's no other gospel mentioned in the New Testament but that one. So this individual salvation gospel, that's, a, that's an incomplete gospel. It's a very self-centered version, uh, section of the gospel. It's not the complete thing. And this is Yeshua talking, not me. And the gospel is all about going to find the lost tribes and reversing all of the falls of man. Not only what happened in the Garden of Eden, it's also about reversing the watchers. It's about reversing what happened at um, Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. It's about reversing that as well. This is why the when you read the story of the flood, it says all flesh on the face of the earth had corrupted its ways. It didn't say all man or all humankind. It says all flesh. Be very careful with that. It's in your Bible, but you won't find the fuller understanding of that except in the Enochian material. And this is where you got the half man, half bull, and half man and half horse, and man goats, and all this other crap running around. All flesh had corrupted its ways. I don't know to what extent you want to take that. Like I said, this isn't scripture, but it's there. So my caution here, if you're going to get into this stuff, you need somebody who's been through it, who understands it and is still grounded in the, the 66 canon, canonical books of inspired literature to help you get through it. If you don't have said person in your life and you just have to go there, you and Dr. Heiser need to become good buddies. He's left plenty of guidance. Comment on the board from Sailor Sun. The gospel of the kingdom isn't football, baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. No, it isn't. He's smart, Alec. Ten demerits. The Catholic in me wants you to do 10 Hail Marys and three Our Fathers. Another heresy right there. That's connected to the idea of almsgiving and buying your way out of your sins. All right. Told you about this. What about the extra biblical books mentioned in the Bible? Extra biblical books. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, there are a group of books listed in your Bible that the Bible tells you to read for edification. The same reason that the church fathers said we're going to keep the apocrypha around for edification but remember they're not canon they're not scripture they're not inspired you just read them for you know for enlightenment for for understanding and knowledge back to the blue letter bible here what are the non-canonical books that were mentioned in the old testament well the book of wars of the lord wars of yahweh the book of jasher the upright one or yasher we'll get to that in a minute solomon's proverbs and songs this is not um Ecclesiastes, and it's not Proverbs. This is pseudepigrapha. It's writing as though it was Solomon who wrote it. Probably wasn't. The Acts of Solomon, the Annals of the Kings of Israel, 
the records of Samuel, Nathan, and Gad, the records of uh, Shemaiah and the prophet and the Edo, the seer, the annals of Jehu, the acts of Uzziah, the laments of Jeremiah, and why are these works not included in the Old Testament canon? Well, the short story for this one is all but two of them have been lost to us. And here again, you have uh, Wikipedia helping us with this. These are Hebrew lost books, and then the Deuterocanonical Apocrypha that the that the Christian church has kept. And there's some New Testament supposedly lost books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is all the ones that the Bible mentions. Those are not necessarily heretical, but they're they're not. The Bible doesn't want you to think of them as canon. The Bible flat tells you to just read them for edification. Now here is the ancient book of Yasher in the book of Jubilees. Got them both right here in my little hand. Boy, do these read weird. <laughs> Charlie, you've read one of them, haven't you? Read them both. All right. So I'm right. They're kind of, yeah. they're fanciful, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Jumping up on 50 foot walls and slaying 10,000 men yeah, in one day. Yeah. They're it's crazy. Th this doesn't even fall into ancient Mideast, um, you know, hyperbole. This is just crazy. The problem is, both of these books, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember right, they come out of the Ethiopian church. We don't know that these are the actual books the Bible's talking about. These could right. be pseudepigrapha. Yes. These may be very well pseudepigrapha. pseudepigrapha. Yeah, these would be pseudepigrapha. It would be somebody writing them under an, another name to yes. gain credibility. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And the, these these made good science fiction for the day, I guess, or yes, or something like that, or scriptural like, fiction, like Harry Potter or something. Yes, and if you uh, if you want to read something that's not going to lead you astray from the, read these two, and you'll understand what we're talking about because there's some wackadoodle stuff in here. Um, but at the same time, if these are connected to the Bibles, we were you know the books in the Bible tells us to read. Then I don't know what we're supposed to learn out of either of these two. I tend to lean toward this is not, these are not the books that the yeah. scriptures are telling yeah, I don't us. believe that these are the books that were mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, it, it, but you have to read them to understand what we're talking about. And like when I was talking about jumping up on a 50-foot wall, it, it does. It talks about some of the sons of, of Jacob they, they, in the conquests of the Holy Land. They, they jump up, they come to this walled city, and it's a 50-foot wall, and it's 20-foot wide, and they jump up on there, and they slay 50,000 men. This, yeah, one man kills 50,000. There weren't 50,000 people in the city, you know, and it's this type of stuff and it's filled full of this. Well, I'm used to the Middle East and it's, it, it's hyperbole, you know, you know, the whole world. Well, they don't literally mean the whole world, but they talk that way. I'm used to that. I've dealt with that. I've been around those folks, you know, I, I, I was in the Middle East and I've had friends here that are from the Middle East. I've been around them. I, I just, I got used to this. That's not what we're talking about here with these two books. This is nutso. And so I'd be careful with it. If you know, it's fun to read. Don't, this is not going to lead you astray. Comment on the board by dip by DDT. Yeah, sure. Sure. Helps the understanding of the Lord coming back as a lion of Judah. Well, yeah, it does that. Yeah. There are certain things in there. Yes. But if you've read them dip, you know what we're talking about. They're, they're a little on the, they're a little on the out there side, the way they're written, but they're not going to lead you astray. But there are other books, you know, the Chronicles of the Wars and everything. That There are other books in your scriptures. They've been lost to us. Why? I don't know. Probably because the Holy Spirit didn't want us running around messing with them. Said, not for you. And the, the, 
the battle of Heiser goes over this in that video in your homework. You go to your homework, you look up the video, and um, Heiser goes over. It's like seven, eight, nine minutes long. It's not not horribly long. And Heiser tells you that the the last holdout to make Enoch scripture finally says, "Well, you know what? I fought and I fought and I fought." And, it, and this is paraphrasing Heiser's paraphrase. But he says, I fought and I fought and I fought. And apparently the Holy Spirit doesn't want it to be in scripture. So who am I to argue with the Holy Spirit? Let it go. And he gives in and he goes, okay, it's not, it's not Bible. Well, <laughs> this is part of what's going on in the world. This is part of the spiritual warfare, the, the, the unseen realm and the war going on all around us. The Holy Spirit guides Yahweh's people. And if you got something in, in his word that doesn't belong there, he will prune it eventually when the time is right so it may be that the the fanciful books of the apocrypha served a purpose for yahweh at some point or he wouldn't he wouldn't have allowed it but they've been pruned they're not there no more we still have them certain ones have been preserved so that we can go back and we can look at them and we can learn from them and understand but they're not canon they're not doctrine and chasing after it as doctrine can and will get you in trouble. So unless there are questions on the board, this is what I had for you today. I know, not two hours again. You got a couple of videos you can go watch if you're looking for more time to fill. Just hop over to your show notes and, you know, watch those. That'll fill the rest of the time. But, and we still got a few minutes to wrap this up, but unless there are questions on the board, me talking fast again, I, if I were to slow down, we could fill three hours, couldn't we? got to put some commercials in here. We just do little clips of Charlie dancing to the the video or something. And, <laughs> or, or, or me and Natasha doing our Furby imitations. So not to, Hey, yada, Hey, not to, Hey, Charlie almost put the pre-show live today on purpose for that. But th this is as a teacher of Yahweh's people, not that I, I'm not, mm, I only have the job because he forced it on me. I would be happy to be in the corner learning from somebody else with my mouth shut. Trust me on this one. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I would. It's the truth. These shows scare me the most. But if you're going to be listening to me for guidance on how to study your, your scriptures, I'm yelling at you as loud as I can. Be careful with the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. Please. In the last two years, I've watched people run off the deep end and dive overboard, and they ain't come back yet. I'm not sure they're coming back. They may have been lost in the abyss. But, and, and then that's heartbreaking. Because they, they no sooner found the Bible than they started reading the wrong parts of it. And then they think that's the Bible. The Apocrypha. It isn't. And it will lead you into Gnosticism and it'll lead you into just all sorts of other heresies. So please, I beg you, be careful with it. I mean, if you just got to go there, make sure you got a study partner that knows their way back and then listen to them. If they start yelling at you, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, don't, don't go that way. Oh yeah, but pretty. Yeah, but no. Yeah, but no, no, put the pretty down. Leave the ring alone, my precious. No. So that's what I'd have for you today. 
in Jimmy's intro video. <sighs> 10 more Hail Marys and three more Our Fathers to you. Jeez, a wheeze, man. What are we going to do with that boy? Yeah, he said he's not Catholic, though. But so I, I, yeah. <laughs> Class clown today. Yeah. Okay, you're not Catholic. You're a good Protestant. I need you to walk around the city, the, the city square six times, flogging yourself on the back with a leather whip. <laughs> dressed as a monk you know with your bull head shaven yes man betty wishes he was catholic now <laughs> <laughs> uh, natasha's gonna give you the devil there uh sailor son <laughs> all right guys that's the show for today tomorrow we're supposed to be talking about per natasha's request Ghosts, poltergeists, and things that go bump in the night. Fun. Paranormal activity. I bet Ooh. you I can work Daryl back in here somehow or another. Y'all get a hold of T-Rex. Tell him we're talking about him again tomorrow. We don't celebrate Halloween, but oh my goodness, we're we're, we're having scary shows coming up. <laughs> oh, crap. We Today's the 25th? Yes. Yeah, we got time before Halloween. Well, yeah. We're going to have... Tuesday... Tuesday will be terrifying Tuesday because we're going to talk about Halloween on Halloween. Yeah, we're going to talk about the history and of Halloween then, on Tuesday and next then week. then the 1st of November will be a Worship Wednesday and we will be celebrating 300 shows. The 300th episode yep. of The Road to Concord. So, yeah, we're going to have to figure out something to... Oh, and then just advance warning. We're going to figure out how to do this. You're going to get replays the whole week of Thanksgiving. Charlie's going out of town and Natasha and I are going to get lost for a week. We need a little time off from the show. So you're going to get some replays. We'll select which ones. Um, Not sure where we'll go with that yet, but we'll we'll, Yeah, if you got some favorite ones, uh, throw it up there. Yeah, throw up in the comments or email us would be even better. That way we keep track of them. But um, yeah, coming up in the week of Thanksgiving, we're going to take a little break and we're going to give you replays. But other than that, folks, we thank you for being here. We love you. We hope we've served you in some way, shape, or form. Um, if you like what we're doing, please at least hit the thumbs up and rumble up buttons. That talks to Natasha, Charlie, and I and lets us know that we personally are doing good for you. You, I mean, don't do it if you don't feel that way. But if you, if you like what we're doing, I mean, come on, you can at least hit those buttons for us. Please, please let, encourage us. Now, if we're doing something you think will help other people you know, Please share the link directly. Send it to them in a message, text message, IM, email, whatever. Because if you just share it on Facebook, Facebook throttles this show. So does uh, YouTube and some of the others. Yeah, we almost didn't make it on Facebook today. And it's only a fluke thing that I figured out how to get it up there. So I screwed up in reverse. But explain me to them in whichever way you think best, (laughs) given the person. I, I'm well aware of the fact that I'm not easy to listen to. I, I I know that. I know how I come across. I got it. I got it. I've heard it for 50-something years. You're not coming here for that. At least I hope not. You come here for the information and then the, the, the ends of the threads I hand you and you chase it down. Dip by DDT says, the show that shall not be revisited. <laughs> oh, hell no. Did you read the title of that show, Dip? No. And if somebody puts that show up, there will be a burial. Might be burial by gator, seeing as how I'm part Cajun, but there will be a burial. 
And so, you know, Charlie will sound different the day after that happens. <laughs> sound a lot like idea, Natasha. Chip. I might figure out. How no, to do that, that sh- <laughs> no, that show shall not be revisited. Oh, I yes. meant it when I said that. I'll go delete that <laughs> son of a gun. All right. Um, so I don't know what we're doing Friday. Y'all have to tune in and surprise, surprise on Friday. I might just do one of my somebody bring donuts and let's have at it days. Ooh, donuts on Friday. Yeah, donuts on Friday and Joe off the hook. We might do that. Off the chain. We'll see. Oh, crap. Yeah, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> she said crap. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. We love all of y'all. Y'all take care. Stay safe. See you tomorrow. We're going to talk about ghosts, poltergeists, things that go bump in the night. And somehow or another, we're going to work in Daryl. You know, the interdimensional teleporting ghost Bigfoot. (laughs) Yo, T-Rex. Hope you're here tomorrow, bro. (laughs) Later.